Um, I guess I'm saying hello. I'm not sure exactly when I'll be releasing this episode, but uh, as I said before, um, this is the glory in our stories. Uh, this is episode three. Like I stated before, uh, via social media, Instagram and Facebook, uh, I was going to be interviewing Adrian Marcia Fernandez. Um, for those of you who may know her locally, uh, she's also known as Songbird. She is a talented vocalist, songwriter, and um, she happens to be my girlfriend, which is um, awesome on my part. I get the pleasure of actually getting to know uh, more about her uh, as the years have passed. Uh, we were friends uh, in college, and we met doing a small fellowship group called Breakpoint. And from that point on, things started blossoming, and we started realizing we have a lot, a lot of things in common as far as personal preferences, beliefs, and uh, even our characteristics, our likes and dislikes, but that's a, another story for another time. Uh, today I am interviewing her um, because I believe she has an interesting story in many aspects of her life. Um, one being a, a uh, biracial uh, individual living in the South, um, having um, military background as far as her parents and even her siblings. Um, just simply her being a, a vocalist, um, her history as a recording artist, um, her degree, her bachelor's degree in communications. Um, I can go on and on about the many um, facets of Adrian, but one thing that I found very compelling about her was just to kick this off, I want to say about a year ago, I was in her presence uh, during a moment where her sugar, her blood sugar, actually dropped. Um, it was a very scary experience because I've never actually seen that happen before. I had a friend back in middle school who had uh, diabetes. I wasn't sure to what extreme he had it, but I always knew that uh, occasionally he raised his hand and the teacher would give him a signal and he would leave class because he would probably have to get a Snickers bar or something. But I never knew the uh, details of his condition. Uh, during this moment, um, Adrian started sweating profusely. Um, her eyes got a little drowsy and she needed to uh, get replenishment in a source of sugar. And I remember the closest thing to her was a bottle of Gatorade and some, I want to say some some form of generic brand of Fiddle Faddle. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but she consumed it pretty quickly. And I guess that's what really surprised me. But realizing that if that wasn't accessible, there's no telling what would have happened. She might have gone into shock, she may have gone, been put in a coma, she might have been, there's no tell, I, I wouldn't have known what to do. And she later explained to me exactly what happened to her body, and hopefully she can go into more detail with that today. So I'm just going to go ahead and ask her, like I've asked uh, my previous guest, uh, Alicia Freeman, who I interviewed uh, about a month ago, and I'll also be asking the same question for anyone who's interested in telling their story. Um, my question uh, to you, Adrian, is what is your story in relation to being a diabetic since you were, di since you were diagnosed at such a younger age than uh, some people? Like, in a, in a sense, how has your life changed since you were diagnosed as a young girl? Uh, well, hey, everybody. Um, I hope that y'all are doing well, and I, um, I don't, I don't know that, I was diagnosed at a really young age, I was eight years old, um, so to say that it changed, um, I mean it certainly did, but after that, after it changed, it really just shaped my life, 
and it has a hand in every part of it. Um, so uh, many people are familiar with diabetes and what it is, but a lot of people don't really know um, like the, the finer details um, and um, maybe even some of the, the overlying ones, um, some of the facts. Um, I was, you know, like a typical eight-year-old kid, and um, I used to go outside and play like all the rest of them, but uh, my grandmother was actually the one that noticed that I wasn't going outside to play anymore. Um, and I was eight years old, and I was wetting the bed, and of course that's way beyond um, being potty trained, so... Uh, she told my mother that she thought something was wrong and that I should um, be taken into the hospital to be seen. And mind you, I wasn't going outside to play. I was always tired. Um, I was wetting the bed. I could drink a gallon of milk by myself in a day. Um, and I lost a ton of weight. So none of my clothes actually fit anymore. So um went in and they diagnosed me with type 1 diabetes but my mother had never heard of it so um, she <laughs> my mom thought it was a death sentence she she thought I was gonna die <laughs> and so she asked the doctor how long I had to live and he just kind of chuckled and said no Miss Fernandez she'll be fine she's just got to balance uh, diet and exercise with her medication and she'll live a normal life um, so I uh, spent about a week in the hospital um, for the first two days I could not eat anything they had to um, push fluid through my body so that my blood sugar could come down because I was, um, I guess to put it in perspective, um, typically, and this is not standard of everybody, but typically a type 1 diabetic would like to stay in the 100 uh, blood sugar range. Uh, 70 is kind of pushing it depending on, you know, if you're up and moving about. And um, 200 is is high. Um, 300 is very high. And when I went into the hospital at eight years old, mine was 800. So uh, they there was no confusion as to what was wrong with me. Um, so after that, I you know I, I left the hospital and um, and had to learn about this new condition that I had and all of the kids had questions for me. A lot of the kids thought that I couldn't eat sugar anymore or I got diabetes because I ate too much sugar. And that was one of the first things that they explained to me that I didn't get it because I ate too much sugar and I didn't get diabetes because I did something wrong. Um, I inherited type 1 diabetes from my father, um, his side of my um, my family. And it, it was it's just genetic something happened to trigger it and it woke up and you know it it turned itself on and um you know it was live in my system but as a middle schooler uh I became very rebellious I was very angry a lot of other things were going on in my life too I was separated from my mother um had just met my father I was living with um extended family I mean just to you know those things on top of being in middle school Plus, I was diabetic, and I was very rebellious, and I was very angry, and I felt, I felt like I was in a prison because everybody else could do basically eat whatever they wanted to, and they didn't have a stricter curfew like I did. Um, so I was really angry, and I felt like I couldn't do all the things that the rest of the kids could do. So I acted out in a lot of different ways, including um, binging on different foods uh, that I wasn't allowed to eat in anybody else's presence. Um, I did that out of anger. I did that to get back at other people. And um, I, <laughs> I, I didn't realize I was actually just hurting myself by doing that. So going back to inheriting, inheriting that from your dad, when it comes to parenting, and genetics. Mm -hmm. You're saying it only has to be dormant in one person in order oh. for it to be passed on? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it only has to be in one parent. It's not like both of my family members had it, so I was automatically, um, what is it like? I think it's like sickle cell? Yes. 
Yeah, with mm-hmm. sickle cell, you you have to both parents have to be you know predisposed to it or whatever. But that that's not the case in, with diabetes. I, it, my father's line had it. My mother didn't. She had never heard of the disease, so this was a strange concept to her. Uh, but with my father's side of the family, he was he explained a lot of it to me, and I'd, I'd realized that a lot of my family members had it on our side, type 1 specifically, because it's very different from type 2 diabetes and gestational diabetes, um, which is when you um, develop diabetes during pregnancy or gestation. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the difference in type 1 and type 2, type two based off your personal experience and what you've researched, because I'm pretty sure, you, like you said, you've done a lot of that uh, for as long as you could and as long as you had accessibility to information. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this plays is dominant depending on the demographics or where you are? It is. It is dominant in... um, It is dominant in African-American communities and um, I think in Latino or Hispanic or Latino and um, Asian um, communities. I'm sorry. My eyes itching and <laughs> I think my allergies are acting up. Okay, now I was curious, I don't think I ever asked you this. Um when you when you first heard about this as an eight year old, do you remember how you felt? What those words meant to you as a child? I remember feeling like what was wrong with me and Initially, I did. I really, you know, it wasn't something that was, uh, it wasn't a a uh, conscious thought. It was a feeling. I, I thought maybe I did something wrong, or I, I just wondered why did it have to be me? Um, you know, and like many of us, um, or not many of us, uh, but like some of us, I I did like the special attention of me being in the hospital because my mom has four kids. So the attention was on me and there were times where she was in the hospital and it was just about me. So at that time I felt it, it's strange. It made me feel special, but I still wondered why it had to be me. Um, why did it have to be me? What did I do? I must've done something wrong or, um, it was just a, yeah, it was a confusing, sad feeling that I had. So growing up, do you think, were there, were there any accommodations in the sense of family, schools, anywhere that you went based off you having type 1 diabetes, were there changes made in order to help assist you with your condition, if you can recall? Yeah, I I do remember changes being made at school. I started to have snacks at the nurse's office. And those snacks would be um, maybe cheese crackers and a small container, little, little, uh, what do you call those? Those little cans of juice. Mm -hmm. And every day at a specific time, I would go to the nurse's office and have my snack. <clears throat> and I guess that was something maybe my mother set up because, of course, I was too young to, um, you know, create some sort of meal plan or, you know, even understand time management for that matter. So um, that snack always happened every day. And I do remember Miss Nelson was my fifth grade teacher. And she was, she, I loved her so much because uh, anytime we had a class party, she, always brought something for me. And you got to understand, back in the 90s, um, there were not the same uh, diabetic-friendly food options that there are today. Uh, Splenda did not exist. I think the only thing that was on the market was Equal. Yeah. Uh, and, and 50-50 was the sugar-free brand at the time, and it wasn't even that great. But it was all I could have. So um, whenever there was some, you know, amazing sugar-free item that came out, uh, she would always bring it to the party. And I can't remember the name of those juices, but she, um, she saw a sugar-free brand of drinks, and it was very popular when, um, you know, back in the 90s. And uh, it, it came out in sugar-free, so she 
bought those for me. The reason she did that was because her daughter was diabetic. And she she knew what it was like for her daughter to feel left out of everything because she couldn't have it. Um, unfortunately, the same uh, accommodations weren't necessarily made at home uh, because, I mean, it was one against maybe five or six other people. So everybody did not become diabetic with me. I was diabetic by myself. So, um, for example, if I was not allowed to have ice cream, it was only Adrian that couldn't have ice cream, but everybody else could. So they still um, bought the ice cream in the house. Uh, there were times where I remember... Um, you know, my stepdad at the time saying, oh, man, I'm sorry, Adrian, I totally forgot about you. And when you're an adult, that may work. But as a child, I've, that really hurt my feelings uh, because it was already isolating enough to have to do something my sisters didn't have to do. But now I was forgotten about. And um, it was a lonely feeling at home. And that makes it very difficult to be a successful um uh, diabetic I mean it, it, and this goes for anybody with any kind of long-term uh, terminal disease that that um, stays with you for the rest of your life uh, when you have family members that don't do it with you it makes it very difficult and I say family members because they see you every day at your home they they are with you on a daily basis and if they don't do it with you um, it's hard and I realized that everybody doesn't want to have to do it. It kind of feels like a jail sentence for everybody because one person, one person has to do it. We all got to do it. But uh, that was the that was the support I needed, and I I didn't get it at home. And I don't think it was because they knowingly decided to let me suffer on my own. But I don't think that that was a concept of supporting Adrian by doing it with her rather than just telling me what to do so um, as far as accommodations are concerned um, I kind of it was it was both honestly do you think that it's gotten sort of better since you've gotten older and you've gotten an adulthood because like of course you're gonna have holidays and events with your family and do you think in some sense do they keep in the back of their mind Adrian can't really eat this, so maybe I should put less of something in it or just make something completely different and put that to the side for you? Um, sort of. There are times where a, a dish will be made a certain way so that there's not as much sugar in it so that I can enjoy it too. Uh, there are times where um, for occasions like Thanksgiving, um, I kind of get a pass. Um, as diabetics, we're not perfect. Everything affects our blood sugar, even if we do everything right. I had a day like that yesterday. I did everything right. I ate all of my meals as planned and at the times that I had planned them. And I even went to the gym and uh, did a, a weightlifting class for 30 minutes. And that got my heart rate up pretty much. And I ended up having to leave because my sugar was... 350 which is really high I started feeling sick um, so with that understanding in mind that I, I, I'm, there are some things that I can control like whether or not I eat a certain dish but then there are things I can't control like the weather migraines um, being sick all those things affect blood sugar with that in mind um, sometimes the consensus is have a small piece and uh, to be honest, you know, if anybody is lactose intolerant, then you know that lactose-free ice cream or uh, any anything that doesn't have uh, milk or dairy in it, it just does not taste the same as like real ice cream. It just it it doesn't. So uh, it's the same thing. It, without if it's not the real thing, sometimes I just don't want it. If it's not real chocolate, I just it's not the same. So um, there are times where, yes, they will, people will, family will make lighter dishes. And then there are times where I just say, you know what, I'm either going to not have it because it's just not worth it. It doesn't taste that good for me to sacrifice feeling, possibly feeling sick later. Mm -hmm. But 
if it is one of my favorite dishes, I will have a small piece and I, I'll put up with it. And the one thing that I think in the last, maybe the last year, I thought about uh, being lactose intolerant and I was like, man, this sucks. Cause like you saying, I would want something and I can't have it. And I would be sitting next to you and I'm thinking, this sucks. But I said, CJ, the one thing that you don't have to do, you can refuse this bowl of ice cream. But if you eat something else, you don't have to record it. You don't have to put it in the journal. You don't have to <laughs> check your blood sugar. So it's not, in comparison, it's not that bad. So that helps me put myself in a position where I have to be like, it's, it's something that is not a, that big of a deal. And I know that's one of the biggest issues with being diabetic is that in relation to other things, it's lowered as far as the certain, the extremity of it. And, um, yeah, so just, and I was just thinking about that, how, uh, how is, when it comes to stuff like that, you just rather have the real thing, but if you can't have it at all, you just can't have it. And with me, because mm -hmm. I'm personally uh, lactose intolerant, and like I've shared with you before, I'd rather just, eat it and not have to take that pill but that pill in comparison to you having 20 something years of dealing with this 24 that's that's a that's that's a life that's almost a lifetime depending on my sister my baby sister is one year older than my anniversary date so she was she wasn't even one she was maybe eight or ten months old when i was diagnosed and that and it puts things in perspective, because you basically you basically been living with this your whole life. And um, one thing that I did realize years ago on your birthday, it was um, I forgot what number it was. I'm not gonna say the number because I'd be telling her Thank age. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're a gentleman. So, but I remember bringing a cupcake from a Barnes vanilla Noble. cupcake. One of it's one of my favorites. Well, actually, it is my favorite. And I remember passing it, putting it on the table, and I think Andrea, your sister, was there, and she said, "Oh, Adrian can't eat that." And yeah. it was, and it was at that moment that I knew that I didn't know that part of your life, because I mean, I knew somewhat, but I didn't know. And plus, that was a sign that, trust me, I'm a sister. I, I, she's been living, she's been having, she's had this condition since as long as I've known her. So, uh, it's just stuff like that, that, like you said, a lot of people don't really, it was a, just like a moment for me, I was like, oh, I forgot. I forgot about you. Yeah. And, and I know. Yeah. It's convenient for people to forget. Not, not that you choose to. Yeah. But it's, it's a reality. You don't have to think about it. And I'm so glad because if, if other people had to do what I had to do, I, I know, I, I, I really would feel bad, especially with somebody being diagnosed as an adult. That's hard. And and people can be, it used to be called juvenile diabetes, but people get diagnosed with type 1 um, closer to adulthood now, um, and even in adulthood. Well, one question, if that's the case, have they, have they had it for so long and had just found out? Or has it no. just led up to that point? Oh, you would definitely know if you were diabetic. Like, you would, you would know something was wrong. As an adult or as somebody who's old enough to think for yourself, mm -hmm. you would certainly know something was wrong. Because if you were physically exhausted all the time and you... It, it, the symptoms are basically this. You, you, you are exhausted. You're too tired to do the simplest tasks. Um, you have a hard time waking up um in the morning or whenever and you have a hard time getting out of bed you cannot concentrate and you're peeing all the time and you are consistently and always and forever thirsty yeah. um and even your your urine has a fragrance and i don't i don't mean like the stinky smell i mean like it it it's strangely i know this sounds weird y'all but it it might smell like sweet and the reason why that's happening is your body is flushing, desperately trying to flush 
all of this sugar out of your system because it's just like drinking alcohol. When you get drunk, your body is taking in more than it can handle. So it's flushing itself as, as desperately as it can. And with um, in your urine, that's water leaving your system. And in that water, as a diabetic, in that water that's leaving your system and all of that waste is the sugar. So that's why um, I said that, because your, your urine can have a fragrance and it's, it's the sugar literally trying to get out of your system as quickly as possible. If you don't take care of that um, quickly or um, as soon as you start feeling that, that, that way, you will pass out. So um, some people, you know, will pass out in their bed and not wake up for hours and hours and hours. And a family member not knowing would just think, man, they've just been tired lately. Um, you know, maybe it's their thyroid because thyroid issues can, can pose, um, you know, fatigue as well. So, um, so yeah, you, it, it can be mistaken. But, yeah, you can be diagnosed um, as an adult. And not many people, the diabetic population is mostly type 2 diabetics. Um, I can't really be sure um, that I, I'm not 100% sure if it's that you're diagnosed as a type type 2 diabetic uh, because of something else. I know that can be the cause. Like if you don't take care of this issue, it will therefore cause type 1, type 2 diabetes. Or um, it, it's also an issue of your body still makes insulin, but it doesn't use it properly. So you have to take pills. Um, that's type 2, but with type 1, our bodies don't produce insulin at all. Insulin is a hormone that acts in your me metabolic system. It helps to break food down into sugar. If your body doesn't make that, that food doesn't ever become sugar. It never converts, so it literally just kind of floats around in your system. Um, the reason why our bodies don't do that is because our autoimmune uh, or excuse me, our immune system picked up the wrong signal. Somebody sent out the false signal to our immune system to go kill off all the beta cells. And all the beta cells were basically like, yo, homie, I'm, it, I'm friendly. I'm a friendly. And the, the guys with the, with the guns were like, homie, I don't recognize you. Pop, pop. And all of the beta cells died. So, um, yeah, that's my little story on how diabetes happened. <laughs> but, yeah, so... Um, the autoimmune, the immune system attacked itself and uh, killed off all the beta cells. So that's why my body does not regulate blood sugar. It'll, it has um, cells that will help to bring it up because we need the energy. We need, we need it to be level, but it has to match up with cells that bring it up and some cells that help to bring it down. And if you don't have the combination of the two, that's where you have a problem. And that's what, that's what, Type one diabetes is. And uh, I remember you, well recently um, you had an attempted appointment with an endocrinologist. And for those who, um, or I, for those who are listening, it took me a while to actually pronounce that. I had to actually <laughs> say it thoroughly, but that was the first time I've ever actually heard of that position mm -hmm. as a physician. So I was wondering if you can explain what that entails when you do have because I know this is a, an appointment that's very difficult to get throughout the year and yeah you haven't had one in almost it's been over a, a decade is that right yeah so what when you eventually do get that appointment what's going to be taking place between you and the physician well an endocrinologist to begin with is a basically a hormone doctor. I know an endocrinologist would probably beat me for saying it like that, but for the rest of the world who is not who are not uh, medically trained, they assist people who have issues with hormones. So it's not just diabetics. Mm -hmm. um, it it could be anybody with maybe a hormone deficiency of any kind, or maybe an overproduction of a certain kind of hormone. In my case, uh, they specialize in diabetes care. I have a uh, general practice physician at the moment and he is very helpful but there are certain things that he just he, he doesn't know and I can tell that he hasn't spe he doesn't specialize in this and I, I'm not saying that I'm a, I'm a physician of any sort but 
you know, when you live with something for 24 years, day and night, you, you start to become um, some sort of, you know, you become a bit of pro uh, with the information, especially if you're trying to live healthy. An endocrinologist is somebody I can go to to ask those detailed questions. This is somebody who's probably studied diabetes on length and knows what could happen if you don't take care of this or why these symptoms are showing up at this stage in my life or you know I've been diabetic for 24 years and you know all of a sudden I have um, I don't know I've, I've gained weight they might understand that it's not just because my lifestyle has changed but it could be the kind of insulin I'm taking and and they might know the studies on that they can also um, recommend a different kind of insulin based on my individual case they're they're more finely tuned with with diabetics uh, they also um, you know can set me up with a good uh, dietitian because we have to have a um, a diet people don't like that word but sorry it's true we have to have a diet um, it can be more strict depending on how well you've cared for yourself in the past and if you're starting to go into organ failure, for example, ki kidney and liver failure, then that's going to determine what kind of food you can eat. Um, but in my case, praise the Lord, I have not, I don't have any organ failure. I don't plan on it. I am not trying to go there. I'm not an amputee. I haven't lost any fingers or toes or limbs or anything. So um, my endocrinologist when I finally go see that person will help me to understand what's been going on with my body um, I've been having issues with fatigue and maybe they can explain whether or not this really is just a life change like I, I've, I've, it's a lifestyle change I have a different kind of job or is this something that may be related to diabetes that that person may know that more specifically and one thing that I personally admire is that Considering all the negative aspects of diabetes, <coughs> so much could have happened to you in the span of 24 years, but it hasn't. Yes, praise God. And good thing that, because I know you've been trying several different strategies or whatever it takes for you to just maintain your blood sugar, because that's, your, that's, the, that's the prime objective of your existence as far as your physicality, mm -hmm. is making sure it stays at a minimum. Yes. And that fight sometimes can, considering from your point of view, it can seem like a lost cause because it seems like at times you feel like you're failing. And to piggyback on that, you introduced me to the small discussion group that's online. It's pretty much been ex probably existing for a while. And, but you've been exposed to it maybe over the last few years and maybe even recently about people who actually discuss uh, the lifestyle of a type 1 diabetic. Yes, that's JDRF.com, which is Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, excuse me, .org, JDRF.org. And I remember reading, in the majority of it, I, I read that one question from one individual was basically, he was basically blaming himself well, he felt like he was blaming himself for his condition and not feel as if he wasn't trying hard enough. And I know at some point that me that's what well, it seems to be the basic topic is that a lot of people and you've mentioned it yourself. We you blame ourselves. Blaming yourself for we this do. and not doing whatever it takes to prevent other things from happening. We do. We blame ourselves and you actually bring up a really good subject. I, I didn't know about this until um adulthood because I just enjoy food so this was never going to be my problem but um there is a thing uh there's a there's a condition that they are naming diabulimia which is bulimia but it's specifically connected to diabetes so teenagers specifically girls who want to be thin that's just american culture unfortunately um that doesn't embrace uh curvy women or women of different shapes and sizes these young ladies who are type 1 diabetic have found an advantage. If my blood sugar is 450 all the time, I'm going to feel really sick, but I'm going to lose weight. So if I just eat all the time and don't take my insulin, I'm going to slim down and I'll look really hot. 
that's the objective. That is diabulimia. Um, they refuse to take their insulin so that they can get the more desirable outcome. Um, and that's obviously very unhealthy. The other side of diabetes is we don't have anybody to blame for our condition. It's not like we um, you know, came down with a virus of some sort or an STD and we can blame our partner or our coworker or whatever you know, for giving us the flu or something like that. We literally have nobody to blame. We didn't ask for this. Our parents didn't ask to give it to us. So we can fall into bouts of depression and we can you know, instinctively blame ourselves for being this way and not having control of it as if we could control it in the first place, but, you know, com completely control it. But um, that can lead diabetics to depression. And um, when you cannot control something that you know can kill you, that will send you into depression if you let it. Um, going back to the idea that these are young girls doing this, what is it that you did during high school that helped you actually enjoy yourself as a teenager? Unfortunately, I was not into any good things, <laughs> but it didn't have anything to do with food. Uh, my life includes diabetes but my life was not centered on diabetes so honestly I was always into music music was always my coping mechanism writing was a coping mechanism and um, you know hanging out with friends uh, was always what I wanted and those those were just because that's part of my character yeah. um, so growing up with diabetes and, and being a, a high schooler with diabetes that was it it at that point it didn't control my life it certainly hindered it sometimes but at that point it wasn't like the it wasn't the epitome of my life anymore but at some at some point have you ever been associated with someone in your condition like man i'm not alone in this so man like, shoot that's place. like going to china and finding somebody from <laughs> georgia you'd be like ah oh my god are you from augusta too how about that man i live off wheeler road and they'd be like yeah i live in martinez so it's like it, it feels just like that you find another type 1 diabetic it doesn't matter if they hardly speak english they identify with you and all of a sudden in, in the seconds before that where you literally had absolutely nothing in common all of a sudden you know each other because you know what it's like and you ask each other one of the first questions you ask is how long have you been diabetic oh, i've been diabetic for you know 38 years wow 38 years you look great i've been diabetic for 24 yeah man well you look good too and and diabetes can kill you it can kill you slowly it can take your limbs and your eyesight and all of that but you know, finding another diabetic in the world is like, uh, you know, like you, you found somebody that knows your life. Not just understands it, but it feels like you, you found somebody that knows your life. Um, I guess I would use this to... So, uh, for those of you, she mentioned uh, <laughs> how writing and singing has allowed her to channel her energy into a, a positive um, direction. If ever you have the privilege of hearing her sing, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from just someone sitting in an audience randomly and just watching as she just opens her mouth, it's, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful experience. And the awesome thing is that you would have never known that this was actually a part of her life based off not only what she sings and how she sings and how well she does it. And she does incorporate her art with her lifestyle. And if ever you does just decide, no, this is me being this is me being a personal fan. <laughs> you should uh you should check her out whenever you get the opportunity. And and I'll ask her to share some of her information as far as uh, contact information and where to find her, her music. Um, but 
the last question I will ask you is because I know people need to know this. Based off your experience, based off what you researched, what are some things that you know for certain when it comes to dealing with this on a, in a in long in long term? Like you, you know this for certain about your condition and things that's probably like statistics and things that have things that have helped you and and per se. But what's one thing you know for certain about uh, being type one diabetic? Well, I know this for cert for certain. Um, I know this, and this revelation. I knew this some time ago as head knowledge, but now this is a full encompassing revelation enlightenment that I came across. Maybe just a couple of years ago. I'm just not in control of everything, and I and I say that because it's so. That was that set me free from feeling like I was a failure. And my character is not tied to my blood sugar. So um, if you are a type 1 diabetic, or if you're a diabetic at all, and if you are somebody who loves and or cares for a diabetic, please understand this. Blood sugar does not determine character. The person that you love may run a 350 blood sugar for three days. But that does not determine their character. They're not a bad person because they have an issue. That's that's an it's an issue that needs to be dealt with carefully. And it, it and honestly, that may be something that needs counseling and love, not reprimanding. Um, that that's not that's not the the place to start. Um, so I know that for sure. I'm just I'm just not in control of everything. I can control um, what kinds of beverages I drink. I can control uh, my attempt to go to the gym and I can control my meal preps, but I can't control whether it's blazing hot outside, which makes me sweat and I lose the water from my body, which, which concentrates the sugar in my system, which makes everything, which makes my meter read a high reading. Um, so I, I know that. I also know that... Um, a doctor's words does not have to determine what you believe. Because when I was a child, they told me that um, by the time I was 40, I, I could be an amputee and that I probably wasn't going to have kids. And I don't, I don't know why, for some reason, I just did not believe what that doctor told me. And um, I have chosen not to allow diabetes to control my life and this was a diabetes commercial from years ago but Patti LaBelle said and other people did too on the commercial but Patti LaBelle said in this particular uh, showing of it I have diabetes diabetes does not have me mm -hmm. and that became the mantra of my life and um, I prayed to God for healing and he denied that but I have learned that God, God really showed some grace because there were some times I shouldn't have woken up, and I did. And um, I choose to live a happy, positive life. Um, I know that there are going to be times where you give up, and that's okay. Um, I've given up. I sat down and I cried out of fatigue and frustration and anger. And then after I was done, I got right back up and I kept on moving. Because life can't stop when I'm, you know, just because I'm angry. I got to be angry and deal with my feelings and let them out. And then I got to get up and move on because I got other parts of my life. I'm not stopping because diabetes is here to stay. Um, I know that everybody doesn't understand it. It is a classified, it is classified as a disability. Diabetes is a disability. It's not a visual one. People cannot see it. So you will be mistreated. People will think you're lying. People will not believe you. And uh, that's okay. Um, there's a time for um, reporting workplace discrimination. Um, but that is the case. Some people are just not going to believe that you have a disability because they can't see it. Um, that just brought me, brought up to my attention. One more thing. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people with such a situation as this, as a disability, if you would have asked them, 
if you had a say so and being of having this in your life, if God gave you a sheet of paper and said, "This is what I'm going to give you," do you want it or not? And many people would say, "No, I don't want this," and then they'd be able to live their life without that that um, hindrance. Well, most people view it as a hindrance, but if if you had the option to not be diabetic. I remember I asked you this before and you said, no, I wouldn't take it back. Why is that? After 24 years of having diabetes, it, I, I've, it, it taught me some things that I wasn't going to learn anywhere else. It taught me time management and sensitivity. It taught me how to keep going even when a problem is here to stay. It's never going away. And I, I don't say that out of the fact that, I, I don't say that not believing that God can heal. I know that God can. But, um, and I, I know that he's healed other people. And I know somebody that he healed of diabetes, um, type 2 specifically. But, um, I, um, I'm sorry, what did you ask me? I totally had a brain fart. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was basically asking, why is it that you wouldn't take that back as Thank far you. as being diagnosed? The reason I wouldn't take it back is because, um, like I was saying, after 24 years, um, I learned a lot. And it, it really has made me stronger. And I, I see God's grace. Uh, there was one time that I... I came to when I when when my brain came around to consciousness I was holding a bowl of cereal and I was eating it and I could feel my sugar was low and I thought to myself how in how did I get here because I didn't I don't remember waking up so it was kind of like my body woke itself up and took me to the kitchen um, there were times I was driving and my sugar plummeted and what you saw mm -hmm. I was in the car alone driving doing that when it just hit me all of a sudden. There, these, these are perfect opportunities for me to have just died. And yet, I didn't. And, and I know that was God's grace. And I'm a part of a community that's very small, that does not care what ethnicity you are, what language you speak, what culture you're from. It does not, it doesn't care. It totally overrides all of that. And, um, we are we're, we're very strong people some of us are fighting and some of us are overcoming but we're we're a small group of of people who um have overcome and we know how to keep overcoming in the face of uh continuous opposition we just keep on getting back up and i i don't know what my life would be like outside of that i think i would be lazy and ungrateful the one thing that I do admire about you as a person is your ability, and that's the main reason why I entitled this segment, whether you're a Christian or not, is I title it The Glory in Our Stories. And I never, I'm not doing, I was thinking about this, I'm not doing this to be original. I mean, it's, there's nothing new under the sun. There may be certain areas on the rock that hasn't been discovered or whatever but the the common idea of allowing people to is express their journey and the reason why I titled the glory in our story is because every person that I listen to they're at this point they see the light despite what they've been through and changing your perspective mm -hmm. and basically seeing because what every one the beautiful thing about you telling your experience is that you do see God's grace because you see things the way he sees it. And that's all he asks of us. And when you're angry and you're upset and you're bitter, you don't see it that way. So you automatically say, well, God, you made a mistake. Why didn't you give this to such and such? They deserve it. Because they're completely healthy. But they're not living a healthy lifestyle. Here I am struggling, doing everything I possibly can. And I can barely run a mile before I have to go home and do whatever I have to do and I become dizzy or I'm saying man I'm yeah. and I won't I won't be able to do this for another couple of days 
So (laughs) developing that consistency despite. And that's why I'm still impressed with you was because your life could have taken many different turns. You could have not taken your insulin like the younger girls and just let your body just have its way. But you didn't. You didn't. And I, and I honestly know that you're not only doing this for yourself. You're doing this for your community. You're doing this for other diabetics. And you're doing this to solidify your body and create this foundation for your future family. Yeah. Because one day you will get married, good Lord willing. You will have children. And I know that's another thing that's a big concern for you. But I know it's not going to stop you from trying to I'm have certainly kids. certainly not. And... Other people will see this as a, as a stop sign. You're basically seeing it as a yield as you actually <laughs> merge into life like everyone else. Yeah. So, but I, I do want to thank you for sharing your story, as always. Um, I knew I was going to learn something different <laughs> listening uh, to you, but I, I find it very um, rewarding. I actually interviewed uh, Adrian. I think twice. Um, I think this is the second time. No, this is the third one. This is the third one? Because I interviewed you for my podcast in class, and then I interviewed okay. you for the City Rag. That's right. And um, those previous times, we weren't dating. But now we are. So I find that kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> but if you could, just a small plug, if you can give people, um, as far as information, where to reach you, and where to find... Um, your music, and any other um, information that you're able to, that can be of assistance to um, type 1 diabetics? Well, uh, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't post or use, I, I don't use social media a whole lot on type 1 diabetes, but um, you can find me on Instagram, Adrian underscore Marcia. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube. And I believe it's youtube.com backslash uh, song. In any case, I know you can just um, you can search me on YouTube and find me that way. And I've, I've done several uh, motivational minutes on uh, being diabetic and, and um, that connection to, um, to faith. So I'm also on Facebook if you um, need to reach out and chat with me. I'm always open. My ears are always open. Well, again, thank you, ma'am. You are I really so welcome. appreciate it. Uh, this ends the third episode of The Glory in Our Stories. Uh, stay tuned for details for the next uh, installment. Again, I'll be posting an episode every two weeks. Um, come Saturday, I'll be posting uh, this exact episode. If anybody has any questions... Any concerns, you can contact me uh, via Facebook and Instagram. Um, I think on Instagram I'm is at Mr. Jumptastic. Um, again, if you have any uh, inquiries about anything concerning my interview with Ms. Uh, Fernandez, uh, just let me know. Uh, this ends the third installment. You all have a blessed day. <laughs>